if you were to tell me that I could hop in a DeLorean time machine and go back 30 plus years to play high school basketball again, I would jump at it. I would do that in a heartbeat. I, I loved playing basketball when I was in high school. I loved the guys that I played with. I loved the games. I loved everything about it. Now, our, our high school back in Houston, Robert E. Lee High School, which is now Wisdom High School, we had a long and storied tradition of basketball mediocrity. We were terrible. <laughs> Until my senior year in high school. My senior year, we went to the playoffs for the first time in school history. How about them generals? <clears throat> now, we lost in the first round, but we were there, and I, we had some incredible moments. Every single season, we opened our year of regular season games against our arch rival, the hated Memorial Mustangs, and every year... They beat us like rented mules, except for that senior year. That senior year, we actually beat them on their home court. Your pastor scored the first basket in that game. I came off of a baseline pick, caught the pass from the wing, and hit a turnaround J. Our coach told me at the end of the game, he said, Richard, I knew it was our night if you were hitting shots like that. But of all of the successes and, and the great moments that we had in games when people, when the stands were full, what I remember the most, what I think of first when I think back to high school basketball is not those nights. It's practice. I, I think about those afternoons there in Houston when it was 103 degrees and we would make that long walk down the hallway toward the gymnasium, the, the walk that took us past the cafeteria and the, the smell and the aroma of stale tater tots and sloppy joe that then gave way to the unmistakable aroma of the locker room. <laughs> Showers and sweat and deodorant and too much cologne because high school guys don't know how to apply it yet. And, and, and icy hot. And, and those days that we spent in practice, the, the drills and the conditioning, I remember having to run a mile in under six minutes in order to be eligible for fall practice. I, I remember conditioning at the end of practices after we'd been in practice for an hour and a half or two hours and running suicide line after line after line on the basketball court and our coach would take a ball and throw it to one guy on our team. And he'd go, you got one free throw. If you make it, we go home. If you miss, we run again. And everybody going, please that, that's, that's what I remember because it was in practice that our team was forged. It was in, it was in practice when there was nobody else around that, that we were coached up and, and that we coalesced into a team. And it was there that I learned something that I have since become absolutely convinced of. It is, it is in the practice sessions of life. It, it's in the things that we do that nobody else ever sees, that the most important work of our lives gets done. It's one thing when the lights are on and we're up in front of people or out and about amongst people living our lives, but it's the work that we do when there's nobody else around. It's, it's who we are when there's nobody else around that determines the flow of our lives. 
prayer is like basketball. Prayer is the practice, day in, day out, growth of our faith. Prayer is the, the fuel and the engine of the Christian faith that drives everything else in life. Now, there are those, those, those kind of prayers that we pray because of, of milestone moments, because of a, a crisis or a catastrophe, an illness or a disease, or, or maybe because of, of a great life, lifetime moment that pops up like a wedding, and we have a, a prayer of commitment and a prayer of dedication for the couple to be. But those aren't the kind of prayers that really, that really determine the direction of our lives. It's the day in, day out kind of prayers that we pray or don't pray that determine the course and the growth of our faith and of our lives at large. You know, Jesus was, was all too aware of this. We, we know that Jesus had those huge moment prayers, kind of like in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. On the night that he was betrayed, we, we know that, that Jesus prayed so fervently, so passionately that, that God would allow him to not have to go to the cross. Remember, Jesus prayed there in the garden. He said, let this cup of suffering pass from me, but not my will, but your will be done. That, that's a, a Garden of Gethsemane kind of prayer. But there are also just those kind of day in, day out, just gardening prayers. Those prayers that that kind of weed and seed our faith and our lives. The, the prayers where we personally interact with the Holy Spirit of God and we ask him to come into our lives and, and pull the weeds of, of maybe sin or a particular sin or pattern that we're engaged in and we ask him to rip it out, to take it away from us so that we're cleaned out and focused for the things that he has in store for us. But also those prayers where we ask him to, to feed and seed our faith. To, to grow our lives, to accomplish his purposes in us and through us in life. And we know this because of the model prayer that Jesus gave us when he, when he said, our Father, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy, set apart are you. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's, it's in that model prayer that Jesus gave us that we discover the power, the power of the practice of prayer, of making it a reality day in and day out. For the last few weeks as a church, we've been in this series called Here to Help, and, and this is actually a very risky series. It's risky for this purpose. It's risky to spend all of this time talking about prayer, understanding that none of it matters if we don't practice it. If we don't take what we discover and what we learn from Scripture, from the mouth of Jesus himself, and actually put it into practice, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the entire week that God gives us. So what we're about today is understanding the power of the practice of prayer, specifically as we understand what it is that, that God wants to accomplish, what it is that he wants to do in these gardening, day in and day out kind of prayers. You, you remember that if you've been here over the last few weeks, we're 
using Jesus' model prayer that he gave in Matthew chapter 6. It's also recorded in the book of Luke. And in this model prayer, he shows us, he teaches us how to pray. His closest followers came to him one day and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. They had noticed something in Jesus' life. They saw that he was more adept, he was more skilled, he was probably more likely to pray than they were, and they wanted some of that. They wanted to get a piece of that action, and they said, show us how this is done. Well, in Matthew chapter 6, he gives this example, and I want to read through the entire prayer. It's not long, but there are going to be some highlighted words that you're going to see on the screen And when we get to those highlighted words, that's where we're going to kind of camp out today. I want you to read those words out loud with me when we get there. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This is what the Bible says. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means holy or set apart. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Remember, we want to read those words out loud together as a family. So let's try that again, shall we? I'll start with give us. Give us today our daily bread. Awesome, awesome. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, we, we've covered the first part of this prayer. Today, when we, when we look at that, give us today our daily bread. We're, we're talking about what most of us at least initially think of when we think about prayer. We're, we're thinking about most of us, when we think about prayer, we think about asking God for stuff. That's not necessarily bad. It's not a complete picture of prayer, but but it's there. And here Jesus gives us divine permission to ask God for stuff. He says, present your request. Let God know what you want, which almost always raises an immediate question. And I think this is a great question. Some of you are already asking it. I think it kind of shows some next level thinking. If God knows everything, then why do I have to ask him for stuff? Why, does he, why do I have to present my requests to God? And that is a great question. But remember that very beginning premise of prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, our Father. That means that the, the premise of prayer is always relationship. Prayer is about relationship, before it's about requests, before it's about repentance, before it's about anything else, it is about relationship with God, our Father, our good and perfect, heavenly, eternal Father. It is always about relationship, even to the extent that we present our requests. So when we come to God, We are fulfilling part of his desire, his design for prayer, that we would ask him for stuff, that we would ask him for certain things that we can't do on our own, that we would ask him to continue to interact with us and do in our lives what he wants to do in and through our lives. He is a good father. He wants us to present our requests. 
Our son Joe, when he was a little guy, loved playing on sports teams. He, he still loves playing on sports teams, as a matter of fact. But I remember before Joe ever played in organized sports, he got his first set of cleats one year for Easter. That's right, Easter cleats. If you haven't tried that as a parent, I suggest it. It went over huge. And we gave Joe the cleats because that year our church did an Easter egg scramble on a football field. And so we thought, since we're doing the scramble on the football field, let's give the boy some cleats, give him a little advantage. <laughs> Genetically, he's not blessed with great speed, but the cleats make it help him. Well, he loved the cleats. I mean, he would wear the cleats inside, outside, day in, day out. It didn't matter what was going on. We hear Joseph would wake up in the mornings. We hear that little click, clack, click, clack. Joe's up because he had the cleats on first thing in the morning. Well, Joe kept the cleats until the next spring when it was time to play baseball. In his first year playing baseball, he was so excited because the cleats were now going to be a part of the uniform. Well, it was about game five or six when a close friend of our family, Ashley Horn, who had babysat Joseph his whole life, basically, was watching. And as Joe hit the ball one time and ran to first base, she noticed that he was kind of running on his toes a little bit. Julie and I had been at every single game. I had been at every practice. And Ashley looked at Julie in the stand. She goes, Julie, something's wrong. That's not how Joe runs. His shoes are too small. Julie said, no, he's just trying to figure out. He's trying a new style of running. She goes, no, I'm telling you. His shoes. So after the game, Julie and I said, Joe, buddy, do your shoes hurt your feet? He said this, well, they are kind of hard to put on. We're like, Joe, if you'd have just told, we didn't know. We told him to go get dressed for the game. Mr. Obedience, he just put the shoes on. His little poor little toes were crumpled up in the bottom of the shoes. That's why he was running on his toes to first base. As a father, as a dad, I would have run to academy to get him some new cleats. I, I would have done whatever it took to make sure that those little toes weren't deformed for the rest of his life. God does already know when you need new cleats. He knows the needs that you have. He knows the desires that you want. And yet, he wants us to come to him for the purposes of deepening and strengthening, of fortifying our relationship with him as God the Father. Let him know. Come to him. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Give us today this daily bread. That's exactly why Jesus could make the profound promise that he made elsewhere in the Bible in the book of John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, th this is one of the most profound and most misunderstood promises in the entire Bible. Again, I want you to read the highlighted words with me when we get there. This is what Jesus says in John 15. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I have appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Whatever you ask in my name. Now, we kind of read through that and go, whatever I ask in my name, he'll give me. 
but that in my name part is crucial. And that part, the in my name issue, has already been settled in Jesus' model prayer. He said, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, set apart, holy, sacred. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. So we've already established the fact that we have surrendered our plans to God's purposes. We have submitted our ways to his word as we've begun this prayer. Now, and at this point, we can present these requests to God. Do you see how this prayer progresses, that this, this relationship is founded upon the security of knowing that our heavenly Father is a good, good, holy, set-apart, sacred Father, that he is good. So now we can come to him and ask whatever we want to. And so this phrase that Jesus uses in the model prayer, give us today our daily bread, is absolutely packed, packed with purpose and power for the, for the reason to provoke prayer, to, to provoke us to pray, to give us cause and reason to pray on a regular basis, not just one day a week when we come to church or when there's a crisis or a catastrophe, but to make it a regular part of our lives. And what we want to do in the time that is left here this morning is really pick apart this phrase, give us today our daily bread. Literally, word for word, just pick it apart. I've shared with y'all before that, that my wife, Julie, she's from Mississippi, and her family is in the poultry business. Julie grew up in and around the poultry industry. As a matter of fact, when she was in high school, she worked on a chicken production line pulling hearts, lizard, livers, and gizzards for the purposes of packaging them to sell to people. Hearts, livers, and gizzards. It is a glamorous childhood that my wife had. And yet, it gave her a unique opportunity to develop a skill that, that is hard for me to describe to you. After 27 years of wedded bliss, I've kind of gotten used to some or a lot of Julie's gifts and talents, which of course are myriad. But I continue to be absolutely blown away, amazed at my wife Julie's ability to pick every single shred of meat off of chicken bones. It is absolutely something to behold. If you ever have the opportunity, it doesn't matter if it's a piece like a wing or a thigh. It doesn't matter if it's a whole bird. When Julie gets done picking the meat off of the bones, it looks like it's been dipped in acid for about a month. <laughs> That's what we're going to do with this verse. We're, we're going to pick all of the meat off of the bones for the purposes of ingesting it and, and making it a part of who we are, of using this biblical spiritual protein to grow the faith that God has called us to. So, when we take that phrase, give us today our daily bread. When Jesus says give, when Jesus says give us, he's saying right there, worship God as provider. It begins with a posture of worship. When we say, Lord, 
give us today our daily bread. We're asking God to give us whatever it is that we're about to ask for, which acknowledges him, which worships him as provider. It's, it's exactly what happens when we bring the tithe. The tithe is an expression of worship. When we bring that first 10% of whatever God has entrusted to us, that is a statement that we trust God as our provider. We recognize that he has given us everything for life. God gives us the breath that we breathe and the ability to breathe it. So everything that comes after that is a gift from his hand. And the tithe is an acknowledgement of that. We say, Lord, you have given me whatever you have given me, and I will bring the first 10% of whatever you've given to me for your purposes in and through the church. That's the tithe. That's an expression of worship. So we say, God, thank you for everything you've given, and I will trust you to meet all of my needs. I trust you so much that the first fruits, the first 10%, I'm bringing your tithe. It's not even mine. It's God's tithe. So we bring that. It's that idea that Jesus is addressing here when he says, he opens this part of the Lord's Prayer with, give us. We worship God as provider, the one who has given us everything. Here's the great thing about worshiping God as provider. When we do that, when we own that personally, it eradicates entitlement. There is zero room for entitlement when we understand that God in his amazing grace has provided us with everything that we need for life, including life itself. At that point, it's all a gift. It's all an expression of his grace. So we just, we just worship him as provider. I deserve nothing. I'm entitled to this much. Zero. Turn to your neighbor with passion and a smile on your face and tell him, get your entitlement out of here. <laughs> that starts with the acknowledgement, with the worship of God as provider. Then Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. It's interesting that he says us because prayer is absolutely a personal interaction with God. But Jesus is also teaching us here that we are to leverage prayer for community. Leverage prayer for community, for, for connection with other people. You, you, let me tell you that the closest people in your life are going to be the people you pray with. Not just the people that you pray for but the people you pray with. Think about the, the people in your life who are the closest to you, the people who are, are that, that, that handful of people that you know you can count on, they know they can count on you. When was the last time you went to one of them individually and asked this question? How can I be praying for you? Maybe it's, maybe it's your spouse. Maybe, maybe it's your mom or your dad. Students, think about, I mean, students, if you went home and at some point, because you mean it, sincerely asked your mom or dad, how can I pray for you? You might kill them. <laughs> I mean, it's just, 
Just, just try it. Just go, how can I pray for you? Ask your children, how can I pray for you? And then actually do it. And you're, you're leveraging prayer for community, for connection, for intimacy. There's, there is always a family, a, a communal element to prayer. Yes, our faith is personal, and it is never private. It is always in the context of community. So Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. This, there's this idea of leveraging prayer for the purposes of community. But he says, give us today. This, in this moment, he's telling us, be sure that you focus on the present. Be sure that you focus on the present. We, we like to say that we live in the moment. Jesus has already said that. Give us this day. You know, over, over 27 years of marriage, there have been a couple of occasions where Julie and I have gotten on different pages. Anybody married who's gotten on different pages before at some point? Well, thank you for your candor. Some, I know right now, some of you men, some of you guys are thinking, honey, I don't know what he's talking about right there. We are just like this. Well, somebody just laughed a little too hard right there. But when you get on different pages as husband and wife, or in any relationship, it's typically because we haven't kept short accounts. It's because we haven't stayed connected on the same page. And when that happens for Julie and me, we have to have those calibration conversations. We have to, we have to recalibrate the relationship. We have to kind of go, okay, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. We are on the same team. Remember the day we got married, we wore matching outfits, uniforms, <laughs> to signify our unity. And we have to recalibrate. Jesus is saying, as we present these requests to God, do it daily. Focus on the present. Keep short accounts with God. Set that time aside that's quiet, that's peaceful, that's just God and me. It's just God and, and you. Lord, give us today. Give us today. Then he says, our daily bread. Now. Now. Make the ask. Make the ask. Present your request to God. Tell him what you want. It's okay. Just as a little secret. He already knows. But remember, this is about relationship. So make the ask. Present the request. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, give me what I need to fulfill your purposes in my life. Lord, I'm asking you to do what I can't do. And that's one of the things that prayer helps. Prayer, when we practice it, when, when we do the, the weeding and the seeding and the feeding of prayer on a daily basis, we're reminded regularly of the things that we can't do. 
we're, we're reminded why Paul wrote what he did in, in Philippians chapter four, verse six. In Philippians chapter four, verse six, Paul tells us something so important. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, when we get to the highlighted words, read it with me. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Present your request. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, you don't have to play along at this point. If you want to, feel free. But I'm just curious this morning, how many of us, starting with your pastor, how many of us in the room have something on our minds, on our hearts, that is causing or creating stress in our lives? I'm, if you want to, you can raise your hand. You don't have to, but if you want to, Okay, go ahead, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. This is fascinating. Now what I want you to do, here's why I want you to keep your hands up. Thank you for raising them, by the way. Look around the room. Take a 360 degree view of the room around you right now. The hands that are in the air show you part, just a sliver of the blessing and the benefit of church. You're not alone. Almost everybody in the room has their hands up. And for those of you who don't, we're praying for your honesty factor. But my point is this. I'm teasing. There are seasons when we're not stressed. I'm, te I'm kidding. I, there, there can be times when we're not anxious, where we're not stressed. For me, right now, this ain't one of them. I, I've, got, I've got some stress I'm carrying. And yet, the Bible says do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. By prayer and petition, that's asking. And with thanksgiving. Now, here's the thing about thanksgiving. We give thanks because of God's track record. But by virtue of the fact that God has brought you, that he's brought me to this point, We've got evidence of his faithfulness. And we know that God didn't bring us all the way this far to leave us hanging. And so we give thanks for what's behind us. And it's because of God's track record, because of what he has done in the past, that we don't have to be anxious about whether or not he's got us in the future. And when we're grateful for the past, we can be hopeful for the future. We live in the moment in peace. And we, we, we echo the words of the prophet in the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is an interesting little book. It's a small book of the Bible that's, that's basically a, a mourning. It's a, it's, a, it's a dirge, if you will, because of Israel's status, because of their unfaithfulness, because they've fallen away from God, they are far from God, and it's a mourning, that distance that they created through sin between themselves and God. But even in the mourning, even in that lamentation, there's, there's this ray of hope. And it says, morning by morning, morning by morning, new mercies I see. Great is your faithfulness, O oh God. 
every day that I wake up, every moment that you give me breath, new mercies I see, a fresh expression of grace. And so I've got hope because great is your faithfulness. And so God, give us today our daily bread. Now, when Jesus used that term, our daily bread, that is a term that would have resonated deeply within the soul of his audience. Here in the Lord's, in the Lord's Prayer, which is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, his audience would have been almost exclusively Jewish, Israelite. And so when he said, our daily bread, that would have triggered their knowledge bank, their memory of the history and the legacy of their ancestors whom God had brought out of Egyptian slavery. And during their wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, he had provided for them every single day manna in the wilderness. Manna. And this manna is a powerful, powerful symbol, not just of survival, but of God's faithfulness. Because it was there in the wilderness, and if you've ever been to Israel, you, you know that it is, a, it is in a rough, desert-like region. And particularly the path that they took from Egypt to the Promised Land, it's desert. And yet it was there in the desert that God provided manna. It was like it it basically sprung up from the ground like dew, and it was kind of a, a flaky substance that they could collect and then knead and beat into bread or cakes. And so when, when Jesus said, our daily bread, this is, the, this is the memory that he would have been triggering. And, and they would have said, oh, daily bread, like, like God did in the wilderness, the, the manna that he provided. It's interesting about manna, if you read the Old Testament accounts, they were charged with going out and collecting enough for one day to eat for their families or for their tribe. And, and if, if one of the Israelite families or tribes got a little bit greedy, they, they might try to collect more than they needed for that day. The extra that they collected would become infested with maggots. And it was a spoil, right? It was horrible. Not only did God give them what they needed just for that day, on the day before the Sabbath, he gave them a double portion so that they wouldn't have to do labor in collecting the manna. And so the day before the Sabbath, they would collect enough for that day and the Sabbath. And so they had this incredible picture, this, this collective memory of God's faithfulness. And so when Jesus said, give us today our daily bread, they went, oh, I know what he's talking about. But even Israel couldn't understand manna 1,500 years before Jesus until Jesus. Because the manna that was provided to Israel when Moses was leading them through the wilderness, that manna was actually forecasting Jesus. The manna that Israel ate in the wilderness day in and day out. And, and by the way, later on, it wasn't just manna. God was so good to them, he gave them quail. Quail would, would fly into their camp and they would harvest quail every day. 
And then later the quail were wrapped in bacons and jalapenos. It was unbelievable. <laughs> Not in the Bible, I'm just kidding. But if God wanted to, he could have. But look at what Jesus said in John chapter 6. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He is the bread of life. He is our daily bread. Yes, we need food and sustenance and air, all of those things, but we need Jesus. And our daily prayer reminds us of this reality. Our daily connection with God's Holy Spirit, this, this gardening, this weeding and seeding and feeding of our faith reminds us where real life comes from. And it is Jesus. He is the bread of life. Now, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what stress, what anxiety you're carrying. I don't, I don't know if, if you have entered into a relationship with God. But I do know this. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the one who provides relationship with God. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that, you've never taken that step of initial faith, in just a moment, we want to give you the opportunity to do that, to, to begin to walk in this relationship with the good and perfect Father, our God. I want to ask you just to bow your heads for a moment, just briefly if you would. And if you would like to begin a relationship with God, we want to invite you to pray this prayer, this prayer of beginning, this prayer of commitment. Just right where you're sitting, just silently pray. Talk to God from your heart to his. Just silently say something like this in your own words. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. And so right now, I pray a prayer of commitment, a prayer of beginning relationship with you. Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I claim your forgiveness. I choose to follow you 
from this moment forward with everything I have. Jesus, thank you. I pray this prayer in your name. if you would just remain with your heads bowed for another moment just briefly if that was your prayer if you just prayed that prayer then this is the biggest moment of your life and as a as a church we want to help in any way that we can we want to be a family of faith with you and so I want to ask you to do a couple of things before we leave in just a moment. Number one, if that was your prayer, then I want to ask you to begin right now, just right where you're sitting, take the program that you got when you came in and fill out the connect card inside. Just start filling that out. You'll notice almost halfway down, there's a place to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. If you'll mark that, and then once you finish that card, just, just tear it off at the perforation. And you can fold it up. And on your way out, just hand it to one of our ushers or hosts. Or you can give it to somebody at the, at the blue tent, little canopy underneath the big front porch out there. But second of all, remain with our heads bowed for another moment I want to ask you would you just raise your hand if, if, if you just prayed to follow Christ just quietly raise your hand up high over your head for just a moment and your hand in the air is a physical statement of a spiritual commitment that Jesus says is forever So as a family of faith, we want you to know that we love you. We want to help. We want to be a family with you. And our family tradition is as you go ahead and put your hands down, we like to put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.